How many of you have ever felt like a square peg in a round hole? How many have ever felt like a round peg in a square hole? About two and a half years ago, I was asked to do the best possible thing in what for those people would be the worst possible place. You see, because I was born in Ontario, I was educated in Ontario at Tyndale, I've served my whole life in Ontario, I've been on committees in Ontario, I've done graduate work in Ontario, and in February 2017, I was asked to go and work in Atlantic Canada. And when you live and work and are from Atlantic Canada, you can be from anywhere else in the country. You can be from Atlantic Canada, and that's great. You can be from out west, and that's fantastic. You can be from BC, and that's amazing. But the last place anybody can be from when you work in Atlantic Canada, when you want to work in that round hole, the last place you can be is a square peg from Ontario. The good news is we have a verse here this morning for people who feel like a round peg in a square hole. We have a verse here this morning, two verses actually, Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8, for people who suffer what um, psychologists call imposter syndrome. People who feel that they just maybe have gotten to a place in life and they look around and they realize they don't belong here. That maybe that somehow they're here and they're a fraud, that they're, they're not in the right place, that they've fooled someone, that they've tricked someone, that they just, there's no way they can fill the shoes that they've been given to fill. Well, we have somebody in Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8, who's been asked to fill some incredibly large shoes. Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8 uh, is the Lord speaking through Moses some of the biggest shoes in the Old Testament, speaking to his acolyte, his right-hand man, Joshua, and giving him what I call Moses' desert lesson. You may remember Moses had grown up in the home of Pharaoh. He had lived there for 40 years. He had had to leave through some mistakes he made. He came back. He led the people out of Egypt. They came to the edge of the promised land. And because of their lack of faith, they then spent Moses' last 40 years of his life wandering in the desert. And it's during those 40 years, we believe, that Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And at the end of Deuteronomy, in the second giving of the law, Moses is about to die in Deuteronomy 34. And in Deuteronomy 31, Moses is giving to Joshua his desert lesson. What is it, Joshua? How possibly can you fill these shoes? Listen to what Moses says to him. Then Moses, Deuteronomy 31, 7, summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, Joshua. This is Moses' desert lesson and sort of Jake's version of it. What had Moses learned in the desert that he wanted to pass on to Joshua? It's interesting to me that 11 times in the Old Testament, this phrase, be strong and courageous, are shared, always in the context of Joshua. Eight times they're shared to Joshua. We don't know a ton about Joshua. 
But it seems to me that he was someone who needed to hear this message, be strong and courageous. And I wonder if the reason he needed to hear it because of whose shoes he had to fill. Because if after following Moses all these years, he felt like maybe the last person who could follow him, that he felt like he was maybe trying to be a square peg in Moses' round hole. But my paraphrase of this desert lesson of Moses to Joshua is wherever you go, Joshua, whoever you have to face, whatever, Joshua, you have to do, know that God is already there. That's what it says here in Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself, Joshua, will don't, won't just go with you. He won't just be behind you. No, Joshua, the Lord, the Lord himself will go before you. And when I was considering becoming a, a square peg in the round hole uh, and working in Atlanta, Canada, as someone who's not from there, this verse and this desert lesson was a tremendous encouragement to me. And I hope today that you'll know that the God who has brought you here is the God who is going before you. And he hasn't brought you here to this place of maybe feeling, some of us, like a square peg in a round hole, like we maybe don't belong, that we maybe are a bit of an imposter, that maybe just, you know, things have fallen maybe too nicely for us and we wonder if we're up to it, up to starting our B-Ed, up to the position we've been hired for here at Tyndale. I want you to know that whatever you have to face, whoever you have to deal with, wherever you have to go, the Lord's desert lesson to you and I is that God is already there. I learned this lesson in a living room in Fredericton, New Brunswick, one of my very first times I was in Atlantic Canada for this position. I live in Ontario. I go back and forth to the region. I don't plant churches there. I work for the Christian and Missionary Alliance, as Dean Sweetman noted. I uh, coach our church planters who are in Atlantic Canada because my wife and I have been involved in four different church plants at different levels and ways uh, here in Ontario. And so I coach people in Atlantic Canada. And then from the rest of Canada, I solicit funds. I, I recruit church planters. If you, wanna, if you feel called in particular to be a bivocational church planter, you want to be part of starting something anywhere in Canada, but in my case in particular in Atlantic Canada, you want to be a teacher and plant a church, you want to be an economist and plant a church, you want to be an engineer and plant a church, then I want to talk with you. And so my job is to coach the people who are there, but then also in the rest of the country to solicit funds and prayer and ministry partner for those people. And so one of my very first times I was in Atlanta, Canada, I was in a house church in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And uh, like I said, I've lived and worked all my life in Ontario. And I don't know if you've been to a small group in, a, in an Ontario church or a house church uh, in Ontario lately, but normally, you know, sort of they... There's a time published in the bulletin and, and you show up at that person's house at that time, right? And almost no matter what goes on because of the drive it takes to go places in and around the GTA, on or about 9 o'clock, no matter what else you've been doing starting at 6.30 or 7 or 7.30, on or about 9 o'clock, everybody in Ontario starts doing this, Right? Like, it's all great. Like, your house group, your small group, it's all been fantastic. You've spent 18 hours preparing. It's whoever's video it is you're doing. It's amazing. But 9 and 9.30, they're staring at you and their watch, right? Because they got to go home, put the kids to bed, and go to work the next day. Well, I knew I was a 
square peg in a round hole the first time I went to this house church in New Brunswick because it doesn't start at 7, it starts at 5. And it doesn't start in the living room, it starts in the kitchen with what we call a Kaylee, a kitchen party. And because I'm the rich guy from Ontario, I always get asked to bring the pizza. So I show up with pizza every time I go there. Everybody else has got food, and it literally is a kitchen party. Bill and Louise's house is a big house, two-story house on Cherry Ave in New Brunswick. They got all kinds of other rooms, but everybody, because everybody's from Atlanta, Canada, and they're having a kitchen party, stays in the kitchen. And so even though the rest of the house is wonderfully cool and open, it gets really hot and sweaty in the kitchen because everyone stands around and gets to know each other, and we just have a wonderful time eating the pizza I bring and the food that everybody else brings, and it's fantastic. And then on or about 7 o'clock, Bill goes into the living room where he's got a keyboard and there's no order of service, there's no projection. He starts playing a song, everyone filters in, sits down, somebody gets out their mandolin, a young woman gets out a guitar, another guy literally gets out the spoons, someone has an accordion and Bill will start a song and we sing along and then someone will pray and then somebody will, will read a passage of scripture and because I'm a square peg in a round hole, they're frankly, even though I've been a pastor for 20 whatever it is odd years, they're very concerned because I'm from Ontario that I'm maybe not a Christian, okay? And uh, so what will happen is I'll be there and there'll be sort of words shared and interpretations and all kinds of worship and this will start about seven and I've never been there when we've finished before 11 at night, often going to midnight, sometimes even past that. It's a beautiful, wonderful time. And God drove home this point to me that wherever I go, whoever I have to face, whatever I have to do, he was already there. That one of the nights I was there, there was kind of a lull in the meeting and someone had just finished preaching at me for about 10 minutes to make sure that I was saved. And, uh, and this trucker, Hilton Amos, reaches down into this weather-beaten sack of his and he pulls out a notebook that I find out later was from 1998. And there was this hush that fell over the room. And people have been sharing all kinds of things, tough things, difficult things. And Hilton read out this poem from 20 years ago. Life got in my way today. I takes my mind away from play. The time I spend in mad delusion draws me to this one conclusion. Life got in my way today. It brings me back from where I stay. Within this place, I go for solace. You know this place. Only one consoles us. Life got in my way today. I know not what the future brings. Only that inside I sing my song of life. So many verses, joy and heartache, calm and curses. Life got in my way today. I know not of so many things. Sometimes I wish that I had wings to soar above all life's perverses. But we must face what life reverses. Life got in my way today. You could have heard a pin, pin drop in that house church that night. And that was one of the nights that God taught me this desert lesson. That God has people out there. God has people right here for you. People who will walk with you, people who will support you, people that he's working in, that he's brought you to this place, put you in somebody else's shoes, put your square peg in a round hole, but don't worry. 
He knows what he's doing. And he's got people like Hilton Amos are there for me in New Brunswick. He's got people here in your life ready and willing and able to work with you so that no matter where you go, no matter who you have to face, no matter what you have to do, brothers and sisters, be bold and courageous. Why? Because God's already there. But God just doesn't have people out there for you. God also has a plan out there for you. I really had no idea what I was doing when I was asked to do the job that I'm doing. I won't ask for a show of hands here because I know a lot of you are staff and you're supposed to be able to know what you're doing. That's why you've been hired, right? Because you have the competency. Hopefully also because you have the character and and you have that third C, the chemistry. You work together on a team. But I'll just confess to you, I had no idea what I was doing when I was asked to go to a region I had never lived in, never been educated in, to be part of raising up new uh, churches. And you say, well, why on earth are we doing that? Well, please understand, in Canada right now, in uh, March 2019, the CBC had an article on their website based on a study from the Nature Trust Canada. Nature Trust Canada is a big nonprofit that looks after historical buildings in Canada, and they've done a survey and determined that there are 27,000 churches in Canada, and church buildings is what they mean there. And let's not quibble too much about that. The point of the story that was most interesting and most problematic is that they predict over the next 10 to 12 years, there's going to be 9,000 or one in three congregations are going to close. So in Atlantic Canada, there are 2,000 churches for 2.2 million people. That means we're planning there for somewhere between seven to 800 churches to close in the next 10 years. And so if we want to keep the gospel and, and the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up in these community, then somebody has to revitalize and start new ones, hence why I'm involved there. But I had no idea how to do this. I had planted and been part of planting one church that had maybe had started to help start another one, but not a whole network, not a whole bunch of things. So I had no idea. But you know what? The desert lesson that wherever I go, whoever I have to face, whatever I have to do, God was already there. And this was shown to me a second time when I was in that same small group in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and a beloved sister stopped the whole meeting and she said to me, Jake, I have a word for you. And I said, sister, tell me, tell me what it is. She said, it's a word for you about church planting. Now, listen, I, I've been to church planting conferences. I've read church planting books. I've been to church planting seminars, so much, you know, church planting all my life. I was ready. I thought, okay, this is great. Maybe she's going to confirm one of the many different ways we should go. And she said, pastor Jake, my word for you about church planting is coffee. And I said, well, sister, thank you very much. That's wonderful. And, and she went on a little bit about what she thought about that. But in all my reading, all my seminars, all my hearing, all my church planting itself, I didn't know that the word from the Lord about church planting was coffee. So I have a YouTube channel. You can go search it up and find it out. And the next morning I went out. Uh, this is the um, uh, Tim Hortons along the St. John River in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And I made a little video about it thinking mistakenly that what the Lord meant when he said to this lady, to me, that the word for church funding was coffee, that maybe what God wanted was churches to be as accessible and welcoming in a kind of third space like Tim Hortons is everywhere you go 
in this country. There's a Tim Hortons. And Tim Hortons makes their product, the coffee, available to everyone. And we should have churches that make Jesus and, and all that he is and the life that he brings available to everybody. So that's what I thought it meant. And I really didn't think too much about it. Until uh, a couple months later, as I mentioned, I recruit church planners. And I was talking to a couple, John and Timia Patterson, from Lorange, Saskatchewan. And they had felt God calling them to move to PEI. And so the summer after this photo here in April 2017, they drove that RV all the way from Lorange to actually Coburg, Ontario, where the RV caught fire and they had to leave it and all their stuff on the side of the highway and continue the rest of their journey to PEI. But because they were coming into, quote unquote, my region to be involved in, quote unquote, church planning, I had to interview them. And so we had a Skype interview. And so I don't know anything about HR. This is a bit of a pattern in my life of being asked to do things I don't know anything about. I don't know anything about HR. I've learned a lot. But I asked one of those questions that HR people say you should never ask, uh, which is, as they're both on the screen and they're holding their two little babies and the RVs kind of metaphorically in the background, I say, hey, if money was no object, what would you do for God? If money was no object, what would you do? Well, Timia, who had served on the Operation Mobilization ships for a number of years, she kind of all in one movement sort of jumped up and gave the baby she was holding to John and ran off screen. And now he's trying to juggle both kids and she comes back onto the screen of our little Skype interview, waving these pages. And she says to me, Jake, this is what we do. This is what we do. And I said, what's that? She said, this is a plan for a coffee shop that plants churches. Now, Timmy and John, they don't know anything about the folks in New Brunswick that had given me the word for coffee. But I wondered that day as I had the, heard them explain their whole plan and how it would work and how they had pitched it to their church in Larange and it kind of got turned down and they were sort of down in the mouth about it, but they still felt that God was in it. It was then again I learned that desert lesson that wherever I go, wherever you go, wherever, whoever Joshua was going to have to deal with, whatever Joshua or you or I were going to have to do, God thankfully was already there. I was then sitting in a conference in June, and I don't know about you, but sometimes the speaker can be a little boring. Amen, Pastor Jeff, right? Sometimes. And when the speaker's a little boring, I get my little notepad out, and I kind of give one ear to the speaker, and, and then I give the other ear sort of to my to-do list. And I started writing in this conference a to-do list, and the speaker wasn't talking about coffee, he wasn't talking about names, but, but I wrote down there, on my to-do list, I wrote, find synonym or translation of the word alliance. Because I was sitting there, I was thinking, you know, maybe this coffee shop that's going to plant churches should somehow be named after the alliance, the group I work with. But brothers and sisters, I don't know anything about this, but I can confidently tell you that the absolute worst name for a coffee shop would be the Christian and Missionary Alliance coffee shop, right? That's guaranteed, brother, to go, to go bankrupt, all right? So I thought maybe it should be a synonym or a translation of the word alliance. And then to be honest, once again, I didn't think too much about it. Until the following month, I get a call from Ryan and Tim, 
two Christian young adults in Charlottetown, PEI, and they say, oh, Pastor Jake, Pastor Jake, come on over to Charlottetown. We got a great idea for you about church planning. And I go, okay, great. So I drive over to PEI. Now, the great thing about PEI is they got this big, beautiful bridge that we built with them in 1999, the Confederation Bridge. It's an engineering marvel. You really should go to PEI even just to drive over the bridge. It's amazing. Just let me warn you, it's free to drive to PEI. To get off the island, it's $47.50, all right? So just don't, don't blame me when they ask you for the credit card to get away. So I drive over to Charlottetown, Ryan and Tim, they meet with me, they sit me down, and they say, hey, Pastor Jake, we've got more than a good idea. Look through those windows over there. So I look through the restaurant and the windows. They say, you see that empty space there right down in downtown Charlottetown? I say, yeah. They say, this meeting's like on a Wednesday or a Thursday. They said, on Monday, we put an offer to lease that empty space there because we want to open a coffee shop that's going to plant churches. Now, Ryan and Tim don't know anything about John and Timia. Ryan and Tim don't know anything about what was shared to me in New Brunswick. And I say, guys, stop. Don't say anything. What's the name of this coffee shop that's going to plant churches? And they say, well, Pastor Jake, you're going to love the name. And I say, great. What is the name? They say, Pastor Jake, it's going to be Collective Coffee Roasters is what it's now called. And of course, collective is a synonym or a translation of the word alliance. So what have I been learning in Atlantic Canada? I've been learning what I hope you will take away from Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. That wherever you go, that whatever you have to do, whoever you have to deal with, brothers and sisters, I want you to know this morning that you can be bold and courageous that you can occupy those bigger shoes, that you can be what you feel is a round peg in a square hole because brothers and sisters, God is already there. Let's pray together and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you use people who make themselves available to you. I'm so thankful, Father, that you're using each person here in this room today in ways that they maybe don't even know yet and understand or recognize. But that, Lord, you have brought them to this place in their life and you've got them. No matter how big a task they have to face, no matter who they have to deal with, Lord, no matter where you're going to take them, Lord, you are already there preparing the way for them. And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name today that each one of us would live out boldly and courageously, Lord, the life you've given us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless and have a wonderful day.